to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Bar Association's Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Podcast. This is your host, Jordan Fisher, the Global Privacy Team Lead at Beckage, and I'm incredibly excited to delve into more cyber privacy and technology topics with today's guest. So welcome to the show, Cindy. Well, thank you for having me. So, Cindy, uh, could you introduce yourself to our audience um, and a little bit about your background? Sure. So I'm Cindy Levis. Um, right now, I am working at a company called Cybercrime Support Network. Uh, the mission of Cybercrime Support Network, it's a nonprofit, and its mission is to serve individuals and small businesses that are impacted by cybercrime before, during, and after the incident. As you probably know, cybercrime and online crime is a huge problem, and it's devastating for people. So this company has come up with a way to assist individuals when they're reporting, responding, or recovering from um, cybercrime incidents. And it's so critical. I cannot, I mean, it breaks my heart when you read these stories about individuals who are impacted by cybercrime. And it's often vulnerable populations. It's often those who really don't have the knowledge or then the resources to combat what's going on. So I think it's incredibly valuable what your organization is doing just in raising awareness. So Cybercrime Support Network has a few great things that I'd like to tell you a little bit mm -hmm. about before we talk a little bit about the problem. But um, they have a wonderful website that's called fightcybercrime.org. And it's really geared toward those who have been affected by cybercrime. It gives them guidance, next steps, resources in one place. They can file a complaint, but they can also get great resources. They also have another website that was done in conjunction with Google called scamspotter.org. And there it gives individuals information on what are the what are the main cyber crimes out there, what can you do to defend against it, and basic golden rules, three golden rules, slow down, spot check, and stop, don't send. As I said, I am the um, chief program officer for um, CSN, and there are four programs that I'm working on that are really victim geared, geared toward helping someone who has been the victim of a cybercrime or educating individuals on how they can protect themselves. The first wonderful program is a military and veteran program that we have for active military, former military, because I don't know if you know this, but cybercrime losses in the military, the FTC said that last year alone, um, it was billions of dollars. And in the past five years, $379 billion. That's what the B. That's, that's incredible. Huge. Yeah, that's, I did not know that fact at all. <laughs> yeah. So we've been partnering with military service organizations and veteran service organizations to have them help us share resources and tips because we are the experts on cybercrime, what to do and how to protect yourself. But they are the 
place where the military personnel and the veterans and their families go because they're a trusted source. So we've been partnering with them. This program is funded by Craig Newmark Philanthropies and Comcast, and it's reaching out to dozens of people, providing them, or dozens of groups, providing them toolkits and other resources. We also have a wonderful program that just kicked off. It's a peer support program for romance scam victims. According to the FTC, 300 plus million in romance scams in 2020 alone. Romance scams are devastating because they not only reach a person's heart and finances, but they can really make have, have a long-term effect. Oh my gosh, it's so psychologically damaging, emotionally damaging. I mean, and especially at a time when we've all been, you know, frankly, probably very lonely, you know, being isolated, et cetera. I just can't even imagine how horrible that must be for an individual. And they, they really feel it. Many of them are afraid to tell anybody about it. They don't want to talk about it. They're embarrassed. They feel isolated, hopeless, and helpless. And so this peer support program, which just kicked off this past week, brings together a small group of people guided by a counselor with another nonprofit given hour where the counselor is helping them. And then myself and Kristen Judge, who is the uh, CSN um, CEO, she's also, we're giving them education about 10 minutes in the beginning, education about romance scams, other imposter scams and cyber fraud, hopefully in an effort to help them protect themselves and hopefully so that they can talk to other people who've also been victimized. We're hoping to start out with three big, uh, three sessions and then eventually kick off to many, many more. Um, so, so two other programs I was going to mention. One is a program called the Secure Together program. What that program is designed to do is to help people who are maybe not quite as cyber secure or cyber aware. For example, someone who's a senior, everybody knows and is told that they need to implement steps to secure your devices, to secure your computer, to secure your phone. But oftentimes somebody who's not very tech savvy hears it, they know they're supposed to do it, but they don't know where to start, what to do. So this program is going to partner volunteers with those who are not quite as tech savvy, have them sit down one-on-one, and we'll have a guided um, uh, program that they can sit down and do a few things with the seniors or other less tech-savvy people. Put two-factor authentication on their uh, accounts. Uh, And also then auto updates. Make sure that they update their phones, that they update their... um, Uh, their their equipment, and then also teach them a little bit about phishing and what to look out for. And it will be one-on-one. We're going to have volunteers do that. And we're hoping, hopefully, sometimes there'll be a competition. Let's say sororities might compete against one another. There'll be a thermometer on how many people in a certain area have been uh, more secure. And and hopefully this will catch on and, and really be a great program. Honestly, I would like to sign up for that program because I'm sure there's things that I could even learn from it. I mean, I'm more than happy to volunteer, but I even think all of us (laughs) could learn. I mean, you know, I think we take for granted thinking, oh, it would never happen to me. You know, I have two factor on. It's like, do you have it on all your accounts? Have you done your cyber hygiene? So I love that. And I think it could go both ways. You know, even those of us that are tech savvy could probably use from a good checkup, a one-on-one checkup with someone who can really go through the basics and say, 
you know, you think you're doing the right thing and maybe all your enterprise accounts are, but are your, are your personal accounts set up that way? You know, exactly. Exactly. And it's meant to be very simple. We're going to have the guide for the facilitators to help their family members, to help their friends who are not quite as tech savvy. This program is actually we're doing it in conjunction with uh, Consumer Reports, which is wonderful. And we're using their uh, website to help uh, consumers with that. Um, And Trend Micro has provided the funding for that and also a webinar series that we're doing. Our upcoming webinar on Wednesday, July 21st at 2 p.m. is about the Internet of Things, staying secure when we're all connected. It is estimated that there will be over 21 billion Internet-connected devices worldwide by 2025. From everyday items like refrigerators and cars to devices that have changed the way we do business, the Internet of Things surrounds us. With this interconnectivity, though, comes issues about privacy, safety, and productivity. We hope you will join us for a discussion about IoT devices, what they are, their impact on our lives, and how to keep your information and privacy secure. The presenters for this program are excellent, including you, Jordan, Jordan Fisher, with the Beckage Law Firm. You're going to be speaking on the panel along with Yale Grauer. She is the deputy editor at Consumer Reports Digital Lab. We also have Nicole Newmeyer, the technical director of IoT integration at the National Security Agency, and Richard Koo, the commercial IoT security biz and marketing development person at Trend Micro. Just a few things, right? Nothing, <laughs> nothing too much. <laughs> So I'm curious if you could sort of explain your journey to this space because you're really, you know, you're providing incredible value to, I would say, the human side of cybersecurity. Um, and it would be really interesting, I think, to understand what brought you to this organization and where did you sort of get your experience in this space? I worked for 35 years for the Federal Trade Commission after clerking with the Alabama Supreme Court and a federal district court judge. I started out in Washington, D.C. as a staff attorney and then moved to the Atlanta office. Um, As a staff attorney, I primarily worked on litigation against uh, unfair and deceptive organizations that were victimizing individuals. Back then, when we first started, there was very little work being done to stop these uh, entities, except on the criminal side. As you may know, the FTC is a civil agency, and we were able to stop the frauds. We were able to put them under an injunction and ultimately get money back for consumers and to hopefully make them at least close to whole as possible. And I loved doing that. I did that, like I said, for years, 35 years. I also had the uh, pleasure while I was working at the FTC of criminally prosecuting some scam artists as a a special assistant U.S. attorney, both in Chattanooga, Tennessee and in Atlanta. Um, I did that for several years. Then I was the assistant director in the Atlanta office of the FTC, both supervising and litigating cases. And then also then after about 10 years of that became the regional director for about 10 years. 
So it's a long journey with the FTC that I have to say, I loved what I was doing because I felt like we were helping to protect people by bringing law enforcement actions to stop these bad guys and also to help educate consumers because in my view, an educated consumer, a consumer that who has the tools to protect themselves can ultimately stop the scam artists from victimizing them. No, and that's such a critical role to be played. Um, and it's interesting, I think 35 years, the drastic change of technology in that time. And I don't know if you could speak to sort of how that changed your practice, how that changed the victimization and sort of the threat landscape. Because, uh, you know, just even thinking about 10 years, how much it's changed, I can't imagine over 35. <laughs> but it, it really is amazing to think back about it. Like when I first started practicing law, I did not have my own computer that I was working on. And I remember when they wheeled the first computer into my office, I thought, what in the world is this? And what am I expected to do with it? And for those folks listening that may have been around as long as I have been, you know, the scams are the same. It's just the method of delivery is a little bit different. So when I first started practicing, sometimes people would get, for example, a card in the mail telling them they'd won one of four fabulous prizes. And then it kind of went to the telephone and the phone scams were proliferating. You've won one of four fabulous prizes. And now you see these prize scams on the Internet on, you know, you can't get them off of your screen and you're trying to uh, X out of them and not uh, deal with them. And now we have robocalls and that's changed everything. So it's really progressed. The types of scams, while they are much the same, they're a lot more prolific now because of the Internet. And I would even say because of COVID and all of us at home, often using our devices more than we otherwise would, whether it's online or playing on your phone, we are also being victimized a little bit more and a lot bombarded a lot more with uh, fraudulent claims that are coming online. Yeah, and, I, and I'd love to delve into, you know, from your role, uh, I know you've transitioned from the FTC into the organization, um, but, you know, what are the largest threats that we're seeing to individuals? Is it still sort of the, you've won a prize? Is it send me all of your account money? I know we just, you know, tax yeah. season always looks like that, you know, what are those largest threats that you're seeing people really um, fall victim to? So according to the FTC, they do every year, they do, a, they have a, a database where they take complaints and they analyze all of those complaints to see trends, to spot trends, to see what are the top scams. Number one scam in 2020 was imposter scams. Now, imposter scams take on a lot of different forms. It can be just like you said, the government imposter, we're from the IRS and, and we need your information to get your taxes. We're from Social Security and your Social Security number has been compromised. Or it can be like a grandparent scam. That happened to my father where he was told that my nephew had been injured in uh, Mexico and that he needed to send money by gift card and to someone so that he could have surgery. And he actually did it. And he sent tens of thousands of dollars. So they knew that your they knew your nephew was connected to your father, and they were able to leverage that information to exploit your father to get those funds. That is incredible. And how they knew it is very strange because my father's not online; he doesn't have a Facebook page. 
But what he was doing is answering the phone when these scam artists would call and they would befriend him. They would use social engineering and get him probably to have said my nephew's name. I don't know how it happened, but I know that when he sent that money and he didn't tell anybody what what ultimately happened, they wanted more money. He went back down. He had gone to a CVS to get that gift card. He went back to the CVS to get more money. And the, the, the clerk at the CVS said, no, you are being victimized. I want you to call your son in front of me. See if your nephew is at home. And my nephew, of course, was at home. He was completely victimized. And that's what it takes sometimes is, is, is people being aware. But it, uh, imposter scams are the number one. Romance scams, like I talked about a little bit earlier, are really um, have gone up. I think the number is a third, you know, 300% have gone up from 19, 2019 to 2020, partly because we're all at home, partly because we're lonely. And, and these scam artists are good. They use social engineering. They use manipulation. They use lies to tell you why they need the money, why they can't actually come visit you. But they play on your heart and they play on your love and they tell you that you love they love you. And when you're lonely and alone and you've been alone because of COVID, it's really that much more difficult. Um, some of the other scams that are big, robocall problems are still big. I don't know about you, but my warranty needs to be updated. Every day, it feels actually Every day. surprising. I'm like, I thought I just updated this. <laughs> yes. And we get complaints all the time from people who say, I don't even have a car. And they tell me my warranty is out of date. Um, we also are getting a lot, or we, we and the FTC are getting a lot of COVID-related scam uh, reports, whether it be vaccine and test-related scams, Stimulus scams, you know, your stimulus money isn't coming. Give me your bank information. We need that to get you your money. Uh, false cure and prevention claims are really problematic. And then also cryptocurrency. We're starting to see that a lot more where there are alternative currencies, cryptocurrencies, scams around that and scams around investments. Wow. It just it feels somewhat overwhelming because I think what's what's so scary is that the they're so good that the, even if you consider yourself very well aware, very well educated in the space, you might still fall victim to one of these scams. I mean, the social engineering, the ability to leverage your own willingness to give information and then with what we put out in the public, those two combined, it's it's incredibly scary. So I guess I'm going to ask you a question that I don't even know if you you have an answer to, but maybe your advice. You know, what can we as both individuals who need to protect ourselves, but then also protecting those who we might have be able to help who are maybe more vulnerable, like the older population or like a younger population, because they're certainly just as vulnerable and have access to technology. You know, what are those things that we could do to help protect ourselves and those around us? Well, a couple of things that I'm going to say is, one, be educated. You know, the more educated, the more knowledgeable, the more resources and information that you have, the better you can protect yourself. But doing things like using two-factor authentication so that they cannot get into your account without you receiving some notification that and giving them a passcode or the ability to do so, that is so important. 
updating your security um, settings. That's really important. Updating your privacy settings, but really helping others. A couple other things I would say is, you know, knowing how to identify a scam. You know, we often all get phishing emails, an email that says, this is from your bank. Please give us your bank account information. And a lot of people fall for it because it looks real. It may not even be that clear. You know, it's from your bank. It may be from Jordan. And then I get something from you and you're telling me I need some information from you, just a little bit of information. And then you write me again and you need a little bit more of information, but it's not really from you. So really trying to recognize these phishing emails, that's really important. And also just not to know not to act immediately. You know, legitimate companies do not pressure you to act immediately. To They never pressure you to pay by gift card. That is the one thing that is kind of different than I never saw before, but to pay by gift card. No legitimate company will ever ask you to pay by gift card. Um, and really, there's really three pieces of advice I would give you. Slow down. Think about it. You know, research it. If you're not sure, take the time to research it, whether it's in a romance scam and that person says that they love you and need money, research them. Do a Google search. Any company that you're that's asking you for money, do a search on them. It's not always going to yield what you need, but do that. Take time. Talk to someone. You know, talking to a friend talking to anybody, when you say it out loud, sometimes you realize, wait a minute, that does not make sense. I'm about to send money to somebody I don't know by gift card. Wait a minute, that makes no sense. And also the other things is do all sorts of checks, spot check, like I said, on Google, check them out um, any way you can. And all the other thing is if someone claims to be from a federal agency, if someone claims to be from your bank or credit card company, check them out by calling the number that you know. In other words, go to the blue pages or go to your phone book or go to Google and find out the number for the federal agency. Do not click on the link. Do not call the number that might be in the phishing email or on the call that you've just received. Same with your credit card company or bank. You have a phone number for them on the back of your credit card or in whatever checking information or banking information you have. Call that number to confirm they really have contacted you. And always remember, if you suspect you've been hacked, change your passwords immediately. And the final thing or two things I'm going to say, don't share so much information. In today's online age, People share so much information about themselves, whether it's on Facebook or LinkedIn. You know, all of us who are attorneys and we're sharing information on LinkedIn, a scam artist only needs a little bit of a piece of information to figure out about you. And by having that information about you, they can then use that information to manipulate you, to socially engineer what they think you will do. And the final piece of information, and it's an age-old piece of uh, bit of uh, advice, is if an offer seems too good to be true, and you can probably finish it, it probably, probably is. is. 
Yes. <laughs> well, this is incredibly helpful, Cindy. I think all of us can really, you know, this can never be said too often, too, too much. Um, you know, I think from my perspective, so much of this is transferable to our personal life, to our enterprise life. I mean, immediacy tends to be the best way to get somebody to click on a link in the work setting. You know, the CEO needs a needs money sent today, yes. right? It's always that immediacy. And so I, I totally echo what you said. If it's asking you to take an action very quickly, it is most likely erring on the side of a scam or you should just slow down. You've just got to slow down. I think that's the hardest thing for us to do in this fast-paced society, but it's probably one of the most incredibly valuable reminders for us to have. So I really appreciate all of your tips. This has been incredible to listen through um, all of your experience. Um, I want to end with one final question. I ask all of the guests, um, but if you have a recent book you've read on cyber, privacy, cyber crime, et cetera, that you could recommend to the audience. So my, my recommendation is a book called Scam Me If You Can, Simple Strategies to Outsmart Today's Rip-Off Artists. It's written by Frank Abagnale. Many of you probably know Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can, yes. the movie <laughs> uh, and book, but the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. He was a con artist, and this is his follow-up book, but it is very practical, very interesting. Um, I've been on a couple panels with him. He, he provides information in a very concise manner, but you're going to listen to him because he's done it. He knows all of the tricks. He knows the tricks of the trade. He knows how they manipulate you. And so it's a really great, easy read. And he really helps you to know what to look out for, how to protect yourself, and how to beat the scam artists at their own game and stay safe online. So I really enjoyed the book because he really is a good storyteller and also because I've met him and he is genuinely an interesting person. I have met him as well, and I totally agree. He's a very interesting man. He has an incredible past, and there's <laughs> nothing like learning the tips of the trade from someone who's actually used them and how to protect yourself. So I love that recommendation. Um, Cindy, if people are looking to learn more about your organization or to access some of the resources, what is the best way for them to either connect with you or with the organization? Well, the best way to get information about cybercrime and, and all of that valuable information is to go to the Cybercrime Support Network's uh, website that's geared toward individuals and small businesses, which is fightcybercrime.org. It provides great tips, uh, great information, great resources. Then also look at scamspotter.org, especially if you think you've been the victim of a scam or just want to know how to stay safe online. Um, but if they want to get in touch with me, they are actually welcome to email me. Um, not that I can intervene as an attorney or actually, unfortunately, get their money back uh, when they've been the victim. I will encourage everyone not only to complain to um, the uh, CSN, but also complain to the FTC, complain to the FBI, complain to your local um, police and complain to the state attorneys general. You say, why do I have to complain at so many places? Because it's those complaints that form the ability of law enforcement to bring an action to stop these scam artists. And all those agencies, while they share information, they share trend data, 
And they often share work together on cases, on law enforcement actions, by complaining. That's the best way to hopefully help yourself. Um, also, that might give you or give them the ability to know what's happening in your area. Um, so I do encourage people to complain, but if they want to get in touch with me, my email address is uh, Cindy L at cybercrimesupport.org. Well, fantastic. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us today. This was very valuable and useful. And I hope to have you on on a future episode to give us more tips of how to protect ourselves in the cyber world. Great. Well, thank you so much. And one final little note is, you know, it's something going into consumer protection was never something that I had planned as a young attorney. I didn't even know it existed. And I will tell people consumer protection, privacy, data security is a wonderful field because you really feel like you're doing something to help people and you really are doing something to stop fraudulent operators, bad guys from victimizing others. That's a great point. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Sections podcast series to the extent that the section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.